Welcome back to another podcast of the Bulls Boys. I'm Ryan. That's Jeffrey. Jeff, are we keeping with that name for now? I think so, probably. Uh, I, 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 th- I think so. It's why I yeah? it's iTunes. Okay. So okay. Keep we'll keep it for now. Um, it does sound a little homosexual. We'll try to find a name that's a little more heterosexual. <laughs> not that it's a bad thing, of course. I'm just no, saying. No, it's not. It's kind no, of how it comes off. not discriminate against anybody based on race, color, creed, religion, or sexual orientation or any of that stuff. Our sound quality, I think, is a little bit better this time. We're going to try to keep working on that throughout the podcast. If, if you're a returning listener, we really appreciate it. We appreciate your support. Our goal is to give good Bulls coverage, and that's what and we're we trying to do. Your, we appreciate your patience, too. I know yeah. it's been a while since we last did this, but we've had all these technical issues. Sure. Speaking of technical issues, Jeff, bring your microphone down just a little bit. It might help out just a tad. There you go. Oh, good, good, good. That's, that's a positive. Okay. Right. Let's get going. Um, let's talk about the Bulls. And again, since last time we talked, Jeff, really not a lot has changed. They're still stagnant. They're still not playing great basketball. Um, I have some theories. I have some thoughts. What have you noticed in the month of January outside of Mike Dunleavy not playing uh, that wasn't there the earlier parts of the year, that wasn't bad earlier in the year? Well, it may or may not have to do with uh, Dunleavy's absence completely, but it's just the lack of defense has really been hurting this team. You know, We're seeing a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes that we weren't seeing from past Tom Thibodeau teams. And the fact that they are not giving, I feel, as great an effort as they have been the past couple of years, I think maybe they've come, become a little too comfortable with how they've improved offensively to really focus on the defense. Could, they could have just hit a wall early on. But I think it all comes down to the uh, defensive changes, or I should say lack thereof. The defense has regressed from what we have seen out of it. And I think what we really have to focus on is who is at fault. You know, a lot of people talk about Paul Gasol who, and not being a good defender. A lot of people talk about Joaquin Noah, who is at less than 100% physically, so that could be hampering his ability. But then you talk about Jimmy Butler. This is a guy who was on the all-defensive second team last year. And Butler, after or rather before that Houston loss, he said that it all comes back to him. Yeah. He, he, he took full responsibility for the defensive system collapsing. Now, I just wrote a, 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 a blog post about this, grabbing the ball hardest at blogspot.com, by the way. Go check it out. Yes, and, the yes. and what, I, what I said was, I, I don't think you can blame a, a collective defensive collapse on one person. Yeah, I like that he came out and said that um, it was kind of his fault that Houston game James Harden tore him up like a paper bag and just got to the rim whenever he wanted. I like that he came out and admitted that it was kind of his fault there. Um, but is it, it really? Is it it's, really? It's not, and, and that's the thing. It may, maybe the Houston game, but he was matched up against the best offensive player in the NBA, probably. Arguably the yeah, MVP, the uh, sure for MVP this year. Sure, he, it, and yeah. I think Jimmy right there was trying to. And that was a veteran move by Butler. Uh, very impressive move by a 25 year old. He was coming out, I think, and trying to be a leader. It's almost like that guy who's not causing the problem coming out and saying he is the problem, just so the person who is causing the problem will admit it. I think Jimmy, Jimmy was trying to lead by example the other day and coming out and saying that his defense wasn't up to par because it wasn't, but he's not the main issue. Yeah, they're not protecting the three-point line. Yeah, guys are getting to the bucket, but there's a lot of other people you can point a finger to outside of Jimmy Butler, and I like the fact that he kind of took a, a leadership role there and said that it, it is my fault when really it probably isn't. Well, I was listening to uh, Mr. Friedel of ESPN Chicago, 
Nick, mm-hmm. you guys are picky. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, he was on the radio yesterday, and one thing that he pointed out, which I thought was very really interesting, was the fact that Pau Gasol, the first couple of months of the season, a lot of people were talking about it was an MVP candidate, which I personally thought was a little extreme at the time, or that he was the MVP of this team. But he says that now, oh, given another month of play, and given how the Bulls have struggled for the past month, his flaws have been exposed and people are oh, now sure. playing for it. And then you go, you go back to Jimmy Butler. He was playing out of his mind the first couple of months, and he deservedly netted him an all-star selection for this year. And, and he's, he's still the Bulls' league scorer, averaging around 20 points per game. Uh, you know, Rose just passed Gasol for a second in the team in that category. Uh, but the fact that teams are planning for Butler now, uh, it, you know, it could be a testament to people figuring him out. But it could also be uh, him not focusing as much defensively like he has admitted. Um, Maybe what he has to do, I think Friedel will talk about this as well, uh, but maybe he needs to focus more on a player that that the Bulls brought him into B and and not somebody who uh, improves their offense significantly at the expense of their defense. And let's face it, the whole team is having that issue right now. They improved offensively. But to have it come at their defensive uh, expense, you know, it's not very good. The Bulls, I believe, are third in the league in rebounding right now, and that's another very misleading stat. The Bulls have been allowing too many second chances and, uh, you know, not generating a whole lot of their own. But, you know, I think that what's supposed to be the hallmark of this team is it's failing them right now. And the fact that the top Thibodeau can only say so much, we've heard all this talk that maybe he's lost the team, um, uh, uh, people are still optimistic, but the fact that this has been going on for a month, even without Mike Dunn leaving the picture, it has to be a real concern. Yeah, and I always wonder if it's, it's, if it's um, a good or bad thing when your team is not good at what it should be good at, its strength. Because I feel like the Bulls at one point are going to turn on the defense. Because we're looking at the same guys from last – well, they have different players and additions, but a lot of the guys that are not doing well are the same guys. I feel like at one point they – it's almost natural for them to turn it on. It's almost natural for them to crash the boards better. It's going to click at one point in the offense being as good as it is. And, yeah, they had a hard time uh, the other night against Houston. But I feel like they're going to click at one point. It's just when is this going to happen? We haven't seen that great defense the entire year. It should at one point. Noah's looking better. Um, but other people have fallen off. I don't know when it happens. But I, I feel like it's almost a good thing that it's the defense, not the offense, having a hard time. But the question is, when does that change? You're 50 games into the year, and you're not seeing much progression. Um, I don't know if it's when Mike comes back. I don't know if it's when you tweak the lineup a little bit if you're Thibodeau. Um, I'm not sure. Well, the Bulls are a team that definitely need an extended break. And I don't don't just mean the four-day break that they had in between the uh, the Lakers game. How fantastic has this week been? There's been one game for the Bulls. I mean, I love watching the Bulls, but they've had one game over this week, and it was against Houston. That could not have come at a, a better time than it did. Well, it, well, you could look at it that way, but they are a team that needs to get to the All Star break because yeah. uh, because you know they seem so mentally exhausted. They still have a couple of games left of that frozen on ice trip. You know, they have Orlando. No, they have New Orleans first, and then they have Orlando. Yeah, and New Orleans they are fifth in the Southwest Division right now, but that's misleading because they are a few games over 500. It just goes to show you how strong that Texas Triangle and uh, Memphis are mm-hmm. at this particular time. And then you have the Orlando game coming up. Well, 
uh, well, the Bulls losing to Orlando uh, a little less than a month ago at the United Center, that was the first true red flag that something was amiss. You know, no, they lost the game against Utah, but the fact that they let a uh, less than healthy Orlando team uh, come in, a team not nearly as talented as them come in and just manhandle the Bulls in their own building, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the start of this whole uh, downslide. Um, the Bulls have now looked like who they have been uh, for the first couple of months uh, since that Houston win at the United Center. We see some flashes of greatness. We saw that way against Golden State. We saw that way against Dallas. Uh, we were at that uh, way against San Antonio. Mm-hmm. They looked fantastic in that game. But you have to beat the teams that you can beat, and the Bulls are not doing that right now, and that is not the mark of a championship team. I still hope that they can turn it around. There's plenty of time for them to turn it around. But what I'm seeing right now is a team that is mentally exhausted, a team that looks like he wants to be anywhere but on a basketball court right now, hence the lack of effort from them, as we have seen compared to the Bulls teams the last couple of years that didn't have Derrick Rose for the vast majority yeah. of the time. Yeah, I had a couple of theories about all that. Do you think, is it, is it possible that the Bulls are, I think there's really two things right now that could be happening with Derrick Rose. Is it possible that the Bulls are almost experimenting with Rose, that they're saying, okay, take every shot you want, and he went two for nine from the three-point line. The other night, take every shot you want, do what you want to do, and get it down pat before the playoffs come around. Like they're trying to to allow him to get everything, all the rust off, all the bad stuff off. And the only way he's going to do that is by taking shots. At least I feel like that might be the thought process from the Bulls because if not, somebody would have had to come to Derek and say, take less shots than you are. If they're not just trying to get him to get the rust off, because otherwise it's crazy how many shots they're allowing him to take. I mean, Derek right now is getting three forces a game. He's shooting 25 times. He's shooting at least half a dozen times from the three-point line. It's just bizarre, and uh, I feel like they're almost just letting him do that so he can knock off whatever rust is left by the time the playoffs come around, and that's the only rationale for the players to even allow him to continue to shoot like that. Well, you know, it could be part of his extended rehabilitation, too, because, let's face it, he's been out of the game for the better part of the past two years, uh, and maybe you can say three because he was hampered during that 2011-2012 season even before the whole ACL injury happened. But I think that, you know, he has to keep shooting because it's the only way he's going to get his confidence back. I but do you think that's why? You think that's why the, the, the Bulls are accepting it? You think that's why they're allowing him to be crazy in terms of the, his shot selection? It, it, it could be. I mean, I realize that they, by going out and getting Kyle so they realize that they have to build with Derek instead of building around him. But, but this is somebody whom they have invested mm-hmm. their future and even I assume that they are going to re-sign him uh, a couple of years when that big contract of his expires so they need to make sure that this is the guy that they want to uh, put their franchise on even in spite of everything I realized that uh, you know he's probably still a little scared to drive to the basket because he knows that he's got to get to the playoffs before anything else and uh, you know, he tried to be a little aggressive. Um, I, I think it was after that first yeah. ACL injury, but even then he was struggling a little bit, and he was, he was struggling with some injuries. And I think that what you really have to look at, and you know, this is a point I heard too yesterday, Rose seems to be a guy, and the team seems to be following this, Rose seems to be a guy that is picking and choosing his battles. We saw that one Spurs game at the United Center, uh, he played Tony Parker really well. Parker had a pretty decent game, but he was a non-factor. And then the next night, he uh, took on 
took on Rajon Rondo in Dallas, and he shut him down pretty yeah. well. So, so uh, but I think it depends on. Yo, is he picking and choosing his battles? I don't, I don't know. know. Honestly, I'm not positive because Rose right now is shooting the ball about 20 times a night no matter who he's playing with. He's been attacking the rim a lot more lately. It almost seems like there's games where he mentally decides, okay, I'm going to go to the, the hoop. I'm going to attack the rim. I'm going to work the ball down low tonight. And then there's other games where he just says, you know what? If they're going to give me a three, I'm going to take it no matter if I make it or miss it. And, it, and I think everybody realizes – and I'm not asking which one's better, which one's worse. Everybody knows it's better when he attacks the rim. I'm asking why is he settling? Why are the Bulls allowing him to settle for outside shots? Why are they not upset? And maybe that begs the question, Jeff, to ask, is the reason why I've ever seen the Bulls team look lackluster, look like they're not giving the full effort out there, outside of maybe Taj, maybe Noah, is because guys like Powell, guys maybe like Jimmy, uh, don't like playing with Rose when he goes buck wild. And shoots all these threes. I'm sure everybody loves playing with Derek when he's playing Derek Rose style basketball. Who wouldn't? When you're when he's going to the hoop, getting guys open. And Derek's an all around likable guy. The NBA likes Derek. But when he's shooting 25 times a game, that has to be discouraging to a player like Powell who's open to the paint. A player like Jimmy who shoots 50 percent even when he's shooting from the outside. I feel like maybe that's part of why they're not showing their full effort is because they're not getting rewarded with a basketball. I think it goes beyond Derrick Rose because you can't go, uh, you can't rely your entire def- uh, defensive, offensive, mental game plan around one player because that is how a lot of the teams fail. That's oh how sure, the, and the Bulls are failing. Yeah, that, that's how the uh, 2012 Bulls fail because after Rose went down, uh, they had no chance of winning the championship, and after No went down, it only compounded the problem. But I, I want to go back to what uh, to more of that Friedel interview that I heard yeah. on the radio yesterday. And it was after that Houston loss. And Joe King Noah, he's supposed to be the heart and soul of this team. There's no question about that. He's the emotional leader of this club. When he's playing well, the Bulls are playing well. Rose is clearly the better, a better player, but that Noah is able to bring the team up when they're down. That, you know, I was at a game in Indiana, and the, when the Bulls were playing well, he was waving the towel on the bench. And obviously, everybody was excited when that was going on. Uh, but after that Houston game, uh, somebody asked him what was going on with this team. And we know Noah's had struggles this year. He's not 100% healthy. Uh, but somebody asked him what was going on, that he basically just looked to the heavens like he didn't have an answer for it. He uh-huh. had no idea what was going on. And if, if, if he's supposed to be your emotional leader and he's giving you answers like that and everybody else is thinking the same way, they have no idea what's going on, you know, no, it's, it's really kind of a scary thought and it's kind of telling as to where this team is mentally. As much as you hate to admit it, I think the Bulls know. I think no one knows what's going on. He knows that the team's not making shots. You know, Powell's not defending the perimeter. He knows Jimmy can't quite give the full effort. And he knows Rose is taking wildly uh, over overexerting himself and taking these outside shots, taking bad shots, taking too many shots. I don't think Noah or I don't think anybody else really wants to admit the problems within the Bulls right now because it would mean they're attacking some of their biggest figures. I mean you can – they should be attacking Powell for not playing uh, defense on the perimeter or anywhere outside of the paint. They should probably be attacking Rose as good as he looked at times for taking bad shots. And they should probably be attacking Coach Thibodeau for overplaying Jimmy. And you can maybe even attack Jimmy Butler for kind of easing off defensively over the past couple weeks. I don't think Noah – Noah's a good guy. He doesn't talk bad about his teammates. I don't think anybody wants to point fingers, although 
they know who to point fingers at, and they just don't want to do it. But it's almost something that has to be done, and hopefully it's being done inter- internally. Because the great thing about the Bulls, in my opinion, is you look at the team, and their problems are apparent. People have appointed them out. You can look at them and say, here is where you are having a hard time. You've brought up you know, rebounding defense. We've talked about Derrick Rose. Everybody talks about Thibodeau overplaying players, and maybe that's causing Jimmy to – to die down a little bit. People know why they're playing bad. The players have to know why they're playing bad. And I think that's a great point. And it goes, what you said, that Noah seems confused. Well, I think it's just because he doesn't want to admit the problem, even though it's staring him right in the face. Well, there needs to be some sort of accountability. And um, players, they have talked all year about a lack of chemistry and a a lack of communication between the teams. Well, I gotta tell you, I'm sick of hearing all this talk about the players, uh, you know, not communicating and not joining well together on the court. Like, no, no, you can you can point out the problem. That's one thing, but it's another thing to go out and fix the problem. You know, Thibodeau I had to do that circle routine in practice. You know, are you in or are yeah. you out? But there's only so much that you can tell us before we start getting sick of all this talk and no walk and. Uh, this is an organization I think is a little bit more in disarray than they're willing to let on. You know, Gar Foreman has uh, vehem- vehemently—I don't know if I'm saying that word right. You're fine. Uh, uh, vehemently he's denied, right. He's denied that there is any animosity between him and uh, uh, Tom Thibodeau, him and John Paxson and Tom Thibodeau. But all these NBA insiders, people within the organization, are saying otherwise, and. You know, you have to consider uh, the players. You know, they, they they should be able to tune this out and just focus on their jobs. But is all this animosity between two different philosophies? Is that going back to the players? I, I, I don't know. Hopefully, it's not. But the thing that separated those '90s Bulls was that everyone knew that Phil Jackson and Jerry Cross absolutely hated each other, and yet they were still able to achieve that common goal of winning an NBA championship uh, with this club. Um, if they really are championship caliber, they'll put any amount of animosity that's going on between the powers that be and just focus on winning. And the fact that they have gone to a slump at a time when Cleveland is caught fire, the Bulls are officially in second place in the Central. They would not have to advantage in the playoffs if it started today. Um, you have to consider how strong is this team mentally, and are they letting all these off-the-court issues with between their coach and their front office, are they letting it get to them? And did you think maybe that's the reason they're not trying as hard yeah. as that happened before? Yeah, hey Jeff, we, uh, we haven't talked a whole lot about the front office and the problems they face, but <clears throat> that's not something I think we really like to talk about. we much rather focus on the players and the team. But I, I do think there is some validity to the, the articles, the reports, that there is a disconnect between Gar Foreman and uh, head coach Tom Thibodeau, and maybe even John Paxson to an extent. John Paxson, remember, he has a history of going at odds with coaches. Very, he fired yep. Scott Skiles at Christmas Eve. He grabbed Vinny Del Negro's tie over some uh, playing mitts for a uh, uh, joking no, and he was coming back for an injury. Um, it, it, maybe it goes back to him. No, sure. But, um, but, but um, who knows? I think, and I want to get into how how the, the tough part for sports for uh, sports reporters and sports journalists, you can't FOIA an NBA team. You can't ask for governmental records. You can't uh, be a act as a checks and balance agencies agency for a sports team as you can 
with, let's say, local government or local police. Really what you have to go off of are people on the inside, players, coaches, former players, managers, things like that. Which is why a lot of these guys, when you quote somebody, they'll just quote a source as opposed to I foyed some information like you do in the news business or like I talked to a government official. And sports reporters can get away with that just because that's just how the uh, the business itself works. And I want a lot of the reports and the sources on the Thibodeau, Garforman, and Paxson situation are coming from sources, quote-unquote sources within the inside the organization. That could be a player. That could be the ball boy. That could be a cheerleader that's close to the team. Uh, that could be a variety of different people. And it's NBA officials, not just team officials, supposedly. Okay. It could be somebody in the front office with the NBA that is friends with somebody in the Bulls organization. I, I think there's validity there. I think there is some sort of disconnect between Foreman and, and Paxson and Thibodeau. But you have to remember, all three of those guys have huge personalities. They're very boisterous people. They're very my way or the highway type people. Maybe Paxson not as much, but Thibodeau and Foreman certainly. That's just kind of the guys they have. So I think there's naturally – even if the reports, to what extent they're accurate, doesn't matter here. I think there's naturally going to be some disconnect between all of those guys. They've worked for each other for the better part of the past, you know, half de- the is entire there, half decade. Yeah, they've worked for nearly half a decade. They've been very good together in terms of what they've been able to gather players. I think there is some disconnect now um, between the front office and head coach Tom Thibodeau. Personally, I think it's probably always been there to an extent. I think now it's probably there even more because the team has struggled a little bit recently. It's being put into the spotlight more because of that and because the team is actually very good. They can compete for a title this year, and nobody wants to see them fail at reaching their potential, especially so this season. you think it could be the pressure, think be the pressure think, yeah, of the I, championship? Because they know this is probably it. This is probably their one chance to win a championship before Cleveland gets – Really good. Sure. You, see how, you see how good Cleveland is. Oh now. sure, and I think I think the Bulls think that. I think the Bulls think that. I think that's why there's questions there. But the the problem is, I don't think there's a solution outside of Tom Thibodeau finding the best in his guys, which he seems in the past have always been able to do. I don't think you can fire Thibodeau. I don't think you can really. I don't think you can argue at this point. There's not much more they can do outside of just playing through it and getting through this stretch that they're in. Get Mike back and get the team hot again. I want to bring this up because I think it kind of ties into the discord that Thibodeau may have between himself and his players right now. Um, I I read a book about uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson a few years ago, and towards the end of the book, it talked about their their post-playing days. Uh, When when Larry Bird took the Pacers head coaching job in the late 90s, he specifically said, you know, when he took the job, he said, I only want you to do it for three years. I only wanted to do it for three years because uh, after three years, that's when players start tuning coaches' philosophies out. Mm-hmm. And so you take a look at what those Larry Bird uh, uh, teams did. They got to the conference finals two years in a row. They got to the NBA finals the next year, and then he walked away from head coaching. He hasn't uh, been there since. He's in their front office, but he hasn't been a head coach since then. So I, I don't know. If Larry Bird's theory uh, holds water, then it could certainly be – it could very certainly be applying to it. And I don't know, maybe Joe Kim Noah realized this to some degree last yeah. year, realized he had to uh, carry the Bulls by himself without Derrick Rose. But now that everybody's healthy, Sands Dunleavy, uh, who uh, who uh, wasn't exactly a superstar on the team, but obviously a very important player, uh, if, they, if they are starting to tune him out, then you know maybe it kind of goes back to the fact that a lot of NBA head coaches, they pretty much have a short shelf life with one team. Unless you're a Hall of Fame coach like, Greg Popovich, or you can 
carry a team for a long time like Phil Jackson did when he was a head yeah, coach. It's, and, 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 you know, head coaching jobs in the NBA, they're tough to come by and they're tough to maintain. Oh, sure. And, and you know, this, this could be one reason uh, that we're seeing right now. And it makes sense. I mean, you think about every other sport. Let's talk, you know, look at football for an example. You have a bevy of coaches on a in an organization. you got multiple coordinators. you got guys that work with each position. So you're really not working ever with the head coach specifically. You're always working with that positional coach as opposed to hearing the head coach yell and scream all the time. Baseball, I mean, yeah, you're with a guy for, you know, seven, eight months out of the year from spring training to the end of the, the postseason. But it's much more laid back. Managers kind of set the lineup. They work batting practice. And you get through it. I mean, there's not that always being with the coach, always hearing that same guy yell at you type of thing. I mean, baseball's so much more laid back. You lose a game, you're not going to get your head chewed off. And hockey, I mean, there's so many players on a team with multiple line changes and um, maybe that's the most comparable one to basketball. But basketball, you got to think about it. I mean, they're with that coach eight months out of the year. Hearing him yell and scream at practice, yell and scream during the game is nonstop. It's tough to maintain the respect of a team, especially when you're a hard-nosed coach like Tom Thibodeau, through an extent of five, six, seven years. But I will say this. In counter to that idea, the Bulls got a lot of new players. Pal Gasol's new. Aaron Brooks is new. Mirtich is new. Derrick Rose is back. From injury, hasn't been coached by Thibodeau in a couple of years. Jimmy Butler, Joakim Noah, Mike Dunleavy, Kirk Heinrich, Taj Gibson. Those are the guys you would expect to maybe tune out Coach Thibodeau. And when you look at the play of the team, I mean, Taj, yes, is he, he's dropped off a little bit, but I think he's still giving the effort. He's still no, consistent. Yeah. He's more consistent players for sure. I think Noah's still giving the effort. I think maybe Jimmy's effort has dropped off throughout the year. Maybe he's one to to look at as somebody that's kind of tuning out Coach Thibs. But if you look at the team, in my opinion, the guys that aren't paying attention to Tom Thibodeau are the newer guys, the guys that haven't been there. I could be wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's Noah. Maybe it's Gibson. I think Heinrich's just past his peak and well past his prime and not really a serviceable you know, NBA player like he used to be. He's probably the ninth or tenth best guy on that team right now and playing like he's one of the best players off the bench, or at least that's kind of his role. But I think... I don't know. I think it could be Coach Thibodeau, but to me, I look at the team and think the guys who should be getting fatigued from Coach are the ones that are playing at their highest level. I could be wrong to say a general observation. Well, you know, it could be, but you know, it kind of goes back to you said Kirk Kinder was the 10th best player on the team, and the fact that Thibodeau is giving him bits right now as opposed to uh, Doug McDermott or Nazi Muhammad, and the Bulls are particularly thin at the, at the big men position, so you don't know why he's uh, why he's wasted away on the bench, but he could be helping to give him some minutes in the second quarter, him and McDermott, and even yeah. Cameron Bearstow to some extent. But, but you know, I don't know, maybe it kind of goes back to how Thibodeau is so stubborn and the defensive ability of his players that he only bases his playing on that. He, I, he might be... Uh, it just it might just be one of those traits that you just can't fix with somebody because Thibodeau lives and breathes basketball. He he's stubborn and he's not going to change who he is for anybody. And the Bulls are not going to get a better coach than that. But if his philosophy is falling on deaf fears, then you know it kind of makes you concerned about you know what the leadership of his team is going to be next next summer, especially if the Bulls get bounced in the first couple of rounds and the fact that. Uh, Cleveland is hot, and Atlanta has been playing really well. Washington's a bad matchup for them. Milwaukee is sneaking up on the Bulls. Um, it, you know, it, it's not a far, so far-fetched right now to say that the Bulls 
aren't going to get to their conference finals goal, like, I am. which I think they've set for themselves. We'll see. We'll see. We'll talk more, Jeff. It's been a good podcast. Um, a lot of fun. We'll talk later on in the next couple of days. Maybe after the Bulls play the Pelicans, we'll know a little bit more about this team. I think tonight's game is actually kind of an important one. and people uh, The Bulls do not. I'm sorry, tonight. Saturday. Play, yeah, yes. Saturday's game. Whenever you're listening to this, it could be tonight's We're game. We're recording this on Friday. Yeah, so. recording this on a Friday. Um, I believe, what do you have for a date here, Jeff? Uh, February 6th, Friday, February 6th, yep. around one one thirty, and the Bulls put the Pelicans tomorrow night. To me, I think it's kind of an important game. I mean, Bulls are basically, essentially, have played one game in the past week. It was against Houston. They really didn't put up a great effort. I think games like this, even though it's a Western Conference team, uh, you got to come out, you got to compete, you got to show teams that when you have rest, when you're able to rest your players, you can come out and really show your full effort. The Bulls aren't playing tomorrow, aren't playing on Sunday night. Um, they have a chance to, to put it all on the line to, on Saturday against a non-conference team. I think they need to. It's a game they, they need to win. They're now in second place. They need to silence the critics. They need to hold pace with – because you don't have to, to finish the season in first place in the Eastern Conference. But you don't want to be in fifth place. You don't want to have to play Washington or Toronto or possibly even Cleveland – in round one, you want to try to get at least some sort of home court advantage, even in round two, so so that you aren't having to stress yourself. You're not having to go on the road to Cleveland in round two to try to even make it to Atlanta in the conference championship. Well, Toronto, uh, they, they seem to be feasting on a lot of uh, bad teams right now, uh, hence their, what I think is an inflated, oh, sure, se- sure. Uh, uh, inflated second seed Easter Conference as we're recording this. My coworkers calling them basketball frauds. Oh, yeah, and, and the Bulls will play, the Bulls right now, the past month, I mean, it, there have been easy games, yes, but they've gone through to say a miserable schedule, hence why they're having this long break. Their April's is, is cake. Their April's a piece of cake. Their March is not bad. The Bulls have their easiest part of the schedule ahead of them. Right now, it's going to get easier, but you don't want to go into mid-March and be five games back at the number three spot because that's going to be tough to make up. And if I'm Chicago, you don't want to have the fourth or fifth spot play Washington or Toronto in round one, then play Atlanta or uh, probably Atlanta in round two. In my opinion, you want to try to get that three and hope that maybe Cleveland somehow gets the four spot so you can only have to play Atlanta or Cleveland once. Otherwise, the Bulls could be in some serious trouble. All right, should we end on that? Let's end on that. Jeff, it's been fun. Uh, we'll talk soon in a couple of days. All right, you have a good one. All right, that was, we're the Bulls, boys. That's Jeff. I'm Ryan. We'll put out our next podcast as soon as possible.